I don't know where it became like podcast norm to have like an outro that you repeat every episode, but that's just like, that is just part of being a podcaster. You come up with some catchy thing to say as the end of your podcast Hmm. and every podcast does it now. I I don't know. know who started it. I don't know where it came from, but that's just, that's just the norm now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to October, a.k.a. my favorite month of the year because it's basically Halloween all month. Uh, as you guys saw on my face or on our Facebook, um, I am already starting to get decorated. I'm doing an alien theme for my house this year. I've got these animatronic aliens sitting outside and it's it's going to be great. I'm also going to be the house that's handing out full size candy bars and a can of soda. So, you know, kids are going to love trick-or-treating my house if they come by. Um, so as I've been, do- or as we've been doing this, you know, most of this season, I have another guest with me this week. Uh, his name is Levi, and he hosts a podcast that I've actually guest spotted on a couple of times called SCP Real to Real. Uh, it's a really fun podcast. If any of you don't know what SCPs are, they are... Um, Basically, these kind of creepy pastas on the internet of like weird creatures and weird phenomena or weird people that are basically held in containment in like this government facility. And, you know, these are like, I don't know, like the documents about how they're being cared for and what their powers are and stuff like that. And I mean, they're super popular all over the internet. And it's been really neat working with Levi and, and, playing a researcher a couple of times on his podcast. So Levi, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, as you said, I, I have the podcast SCP real to real, which I started doing because one didn't exist and I found myself, right. I wanted to listen to SCPs rather than read them because, uh, you know, I can't always sit down in front of a computer and read, but I can right. frequently drive and listen. So exactly. when I couldn't find one, I thought, well, if I can't find it, there's a market for it and I should just do it. And absolutely. I've been doing it for several years and I'm almost ready to make a profit. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's very exciting to see that, that number slowly climbing towards zero. <laughs> no. uh, and then more personally about me, I'm a teacher. Um, so okay. this is something I podcasting is something I can try and do in the summer. This summer didn't go so well, so I didn't get ahead at all. Gotcha. This summer, yeah. But, um, it gives me that the the free time <clears throat> when I'm handling my time right. Right. To do some recording. What, um, what do you teach? Oh, sixth grade English, world studies, and AVID. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. English was always my favorite subject in school. Like I, that was my thing. So. Yeah. Mine too. Bad at math, good at English. So <laughs> usually seems that you're you're good at one or the other, and almost never both. <laughs> so, and I mean, our listeners can probably verify that I am terrible at math. I mess up math all the time on here, constantly. So, um, yeah, it's not my strong suit, but um, but yeah, no, the SCP podcast is so much fun. Like I, I listen to it constantly because. I too just don't always have time to just sit down and read, you know, like a research document 
about, <laughs> you know, a, a, you know, special containment procedure for this, you know, weird paranormal activity, but yeah. listening to them is really cool. And the fact that you've gotten other people to guest spot on your show, like myself, it's really neat because then you, you don't think about it as all being one researcher because for there to be these thousands and thousands, cause what are, what are they up to? Like 6,000 oh, SCPs at this yeah, point? Yeah, something like that. I don't even you know, know for it, sure, but that sounds about right. <laughs> it's, it's really high. Like yeah. it's really up there. So for there to be like 6,000 paranormal creatures and people and things and only one researcher, it doesn't really make sense. So the fact that you've brought on other, you know, quote unquote researchers to, to play these parts, it really adds to the depth of the podcast and makes it seem like, oh, you're listening to all these different files, you know, that are led by different research teams. Yeah. And it, it's really neat. I really like it. Well, thank so. you. Um, so without any further ado, we're going to flip the penny for our thoughts to decide who goes first. I've been letting my guests go ahead and pick heads or tails, and then um, we'll see We'll see if you get to go first. Okay. So, Tails. Okay. It's heads. So are you going to um, make me go first anyway? <laughs> You've done that. <laughs> I have done that. Um, let's see. So I went first the first two guests. I let the guests go first the last two times. I think I will actually go first this time. Honor the coin. Yeah. So I will honor the coin this time. <laughs> so um, I actually had a little bit of trouble, like, finding a topic this week. Um, and I... Mainly it's because I really need to stop putting off doing generic lake monsters and Bigfoot style cryptids. But uh, today is not that day. I am, I am just honestly, like, listen, I looked around for a long time to find a cryptid that wasn't one of those two categories and it's getting more and more difficult. So I hope you guys are ready for season six to, probably be nothing but offshoots of Nessie and Bigfoot oh. <laughs> because it's it's really starting to get to the point where it's like all that's left is you know Bessie and Chessie and Tessie and you know Yeti and other hominids and it's like oh my god every every country it seems like has at least one lake monster that they've yeah. named along the lines of Nessie. And I'm not kidding when I say Bessie, Chessie, Tessie. Literally, if there's a lake monster, its name is probably based on Nessie. Mm. And they're all kind of similar, you know. It's yeah. just so. But anyway, but today I'm going to be taking us up to North Carolina, the state of North Carolina, to talk about a cryptid I'd actually never heard of before called the Beast of Bladenbro. Um, and I'm actually going to give a shout out to one of our patrons, um, William, he's in our secret Facebook group, the crypt, which is open to all of our patrons at the $5 tier and higher. Um, he introduced me to an app called the cryptid field guide, which is how I found this subject. So the cryptid field guide is a free app that basically lists all the American cryptids by the state that they're in. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I hadn't heard of this one. So I was just kind of scrolling through and found the beast of Bladen bro. And I was like, that sounds interesting. I'm going to do that one. It sounds like a very like British, um, uh, well, Bladen bro sounds very British, yeah. you know? Um, but it's like a lot of those towns up in like, you know, 
the northeastern part of the United States have very British town names, you know, like Gloucestershire and, and stuff like that. So it's like, it's new. It's called New England for a reason. Yeah. So, <laughs> now, I mean, granted, North Carolina isn't really technically part of New England, I don't think. But um, Bladenboro is definitely a very UK sounding yeah. town. It sounds like but, maybe um, this beast wanders moors, perhaps. Moors, <laughs> actually. Uh, okay. So close. <laughs> But um, also, I'm just going to throw a content warning out right now. There is a, actually a lot of dog death in this one. So I do apologize in advance for, you know, all of our dog lovers out there. This this cryptid specifically targeted dogs. Um, so I'm going to do my best to keep the gory details to a minimum. But there are some descriptions that are kind of part of the overall story. So I'll try to, like, get through it quickly. But um, Poor puppet dogs. Yeah. So just... just uh, just a forewarning, if you know, if if you don't do well with dog death, this is probably not the half of this episode for you. But anyway, so description of the beast: it's about four and a half feet long, or 137 centimeters, um, about 20 inches or 50 centimeters tall, with about a 14 inch or 35 centimeter long tail. So hmm. it's got a tail that's almost as long as it is tall. Yeah. And then overall length is about four and a half feet. Um, It's bushy, got bushy fur. Um, It's bear or panther-like. So I don't, probably more panther-like, but maybe, you know, with the tail, but maybe bear-like fur, I guess. Right. Um, It's about 150 pounds or 68 kilograms. um, But this estimate was based mainly on how it moved through bushes. Like one guy basically heard it moving through the bushes and kind of estimated it to be about 150 pounds or 68 kilograms. Um, and then oh. based on footprints that it left, a more accurate estimate was made that it was 80 to 90 pounds or 36 to 40 kilograms. Okay. I was going to say that first one sounds like a carnival trick or something, right? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, move. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you can judge the weight of something by hearing it move through the bushes, but yeah. This person really seemed to think that he knew what he was doing. But but yeah, like I said, based on the forensic evidence of the footprints that it left in multiple places, they they put it at around 80 to 90 pounds. Um, and then it screams like a crying baby, which Ooh. that is an absolute no thank you, ma'am, for me. <laughs> <laughs> because I – now, there are a lot of animals that do scream like babies – or women being brutally murdered, um, raccoons, barn owls, cougars. Yeah. There's a lot of animals that – some goats. There are a lot of animals that scream like people, and they all make me very uncomfortable. Yeah. So this is going to fall into the you know the category of animals that make Sammy uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um. This is a relatively recent cryptid with sightings dating back only to 1953. So it's only about 70 some odd years old. Um, the first sighting comes from December of 1953, um, specifically the 29th of December. Um, first sighting was from the town of Clarkton, not actually in Bladenboro, but uh, it's a very close town. Um, where a local woman heard her neighbor's dogs barking and whimpering. And when she went out to investigate, she saw a large cat-like creature that was sleek, black, 
and about five feet long, and it skulked off into the darkness. Um, <laughs> yeah, the next sighting came from a couple days later on December 31st, 1953, on New Year's Eve. Uh, two dogs were attacked and torn to ribbons and crushed in Bladenboro. Oh. Uh, the dog's owner, Johnny Voss, went on record saying, my dogs put up a good fight. There was blood all over the porch, big puddles of it, and there was a pool of saliva on the porch as well. It killed one dog at 1030 and left it lying there. My dad wrapped the dog up in a blanket and that thing came back and got that dog and nobody's seen the dog since. At huh. 1.30 in the morning, it came back and killed the other dog and took it off. We found it three days later in a hedgerow. The top of one of the dog's heads was torn off and its body was crushed and wet like it had been in that thing's mouth. The other dog's lower jaw was torn off. Oh. See, so it's like brutally yeah. ripped apart. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, it doesn't sound unlike um, a large cat attack, right? It doesn't, except yeah. for... I mean, it doesn't, except for, you know, the body being crushed. Oh, um, that's fair, yeah. You know, like, I mean, most large cat attacks, yes, they'll tear things apart, um, but they're not usually going to crush things. And that's going to come up a lot in this story, is like skulls being completely flattened. Mm. And that's not very common with big cat attacks right. at all. Um. So the next sighting was the very next morning on New Year's Day, January 1st, 1954. Uh, police Chief Roy Fores, or Fores, uh, was called out to Woody Storm's farm just outside of Bladenboro. Uh, Chief Fores said Storm was distraught as two of his dogs had been killed viciously by something powerful and large. The dogs had been torn to shreds, their heads ripped off, and their skulls crushed. Oh. God. Like I said, this is it's very violent and very gory, but it's like, yeah, the ripping the head completely off and crushing the skull, that doesn't seem very cat-like. Yeah, that's you know, that's weird. Like like I said, the 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 completely like ripping the shreds and and dragging the yeah, the the kill off, that is very cat-like. You know, you'll see a lot of um Lions do that. You'll see tigers do that. They, you know, they kind of kill their prey and drag it off to eat it privately. Um, so that is cat-like for sure. But yeah, the crushing of skulls and, and some of the, the details of the killings are very not cat-like. So it's just, it's weird. Yeah. On January 2nd, another dog was reported killed and torn apart. On January 3rd, two more dogs were found dead. And at this point, the police department ordered an autopsy to be performed on one of the dogs and were shocked to discover that it had been completely drained of blood. Uh, hmm. The report stated there wasn't more than two or three drops of blood in him and the victim's bottom lip had been broken open and his jawbone smashed back. So not only were these dogs being like viciously ripped apart and crushed, but they were also being drained of blood and at this point, the Beast of Bladenboro was also being referred to as the Vampire of Bladenboro. Yeah. Yeah, um, not a lot of exsanguination with jungle cats. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, over the next two days, so January 4th and 5th, more animals, including rabbits, pigs, cows, chickens, and goats were reported dead all over the region. Many were drained of blood and had their skulls crushed. And it was at this point that children were kept home from school and groups of hunters started forming to find the beast. Yeah. Um, 
Time yeah, for so the- now it's now it's moving on to bigger animals. Yeah. Um, it's time which, for the classic guys shooting at things to yes, take place. Yes, yeah, it is, it is time for, you know, classic Americans, you know, going out with their guns and, you know, shooting at things. Um, but yeah, so it, it has moved on to larger animals, um, which with exsanguination, that is, it makes sense, especially for a, an animal this big. Um, because if you think about it, the only known creature that survives off of blood is the vampire bat. And it has to drink a lot of blood in order to um, actually gain any energy from it. Like it's got special enzymes in its stomach. And this is actually some research that I found out um, from listening to another podcast called um, Not Alone, the Not Alone podcast. Um, Maybe, no, maybe I heard it from That's Why We Drink. I don't remember. One or the other. Either way. No, no, it was not alone. Sorry. <laughs> not alone podcast. I just found out about them. They're really cool. Um, they kind of have a similar show to ours, but anyway, yeah. Uh, vampire bats have special enzymes that allow them to digest, um, blood and plasma to get energy from it, but they have to drink a lot. So for a creature that's like four and a half feet long and 80 to 90 pounds to survive off of blood, it would have to really take in a lot. So probably, you know, two dogs or bigger animals would have to be exsanguinated in order to actually give it energy off of blood because it doesn't seem to actually be eating the animals, just ripping them apart and draining them of blood. Yeah. So, um, January 5th, 1954, uh, at seven 30 in the morning, they had their first attack on a human, uh, the first and only attack. Um, and it didn't actually get this person. So on the morning of January 5th, Mrs. C.E. Kinslaw, a 21-year-old mother in Bladenboro, heard the sound of dogs whimpering outside her house. She went out to investigate and saw a large cat-like creature stalking towards her. It went to lunge for her and she screamed, which seemed to scare it off, and it disappeared back into the woods. Her husband ran out with a shotgun, but the beast had already gone, leaving footprints behind that were described by the local police to be bigger than a silver dollar, which silver dollars aren't that big. So I don't know, you know, either way, um, this was the first case that had footprints and where they, you know, decided that it was probably about 80 to 90 pounds. Um, Winslow stated afterwards that after we first saw it and my husband scared it away, it circled back and came running towards the porch where I was standing. I screamed and it stopped on all fours, turned and ran off. So apparently loud noises scared away. Yeah. Um, the last official sighting from 1954 comes from January 11th. Two cars stopped for an animal reported to be about four feet long. One of the men in the cars was quoted by as saying the animal had runty looking ears and was brownish and tabby. So well, what's a runty looking ear? I guess kind of like short truncated okay. ears, not like, you know, big long ears, but just kind of short stubby ears. Okay. So now we're going to get into the hunt for the beast. Uh, the hunt began almost immediately. Like people were trigger happy, which once again, that is just trigger happy Americans. That's just kind of part of our culture at this point. Um, so three and a half or three hunting parties organized the night of January 4th. So remember the first sighting was December 29th. 
so by January 4th, they had already started forming hunting parties. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so that night there were three hunting parties. The first consisted of about half a dozen brave youths and their dogs and was made up. Another was made up of professional hunters who traveled f- to Bladenboro from Wilmington, which was a couple hours away. And the third group was police chief Fora's and eight officers who conducted their own search at the same time. Uh, the three parties patrolled about a three mile or 4.8 kilometer area around the swamp that the creature reportedly originated from by the next day, January 5th, the number of hunters skyrocketed from 20 to 30 the day prior to over 500. (laughs) (laughs) People were coming from as far as Tennessee to North Carolina. People wanted Um, to get this thing dead. (laughs) People really wanted a chance to kill this creature. Um, And then further grew to 800 by the 6th. And then on the 7th, when the number of hunters reached around (laughs) 1,000, Woodrow Fussell, the mayor of Bladenboro, called off the hunt out of safety concerns of having that many trigger-happy Americans in such a small area. Because you remember, this swamp is only about three miles around. And you've got a thousand people with you know loaded guns hunting the creature it's like that's just asking for trouble that's just asking for somebody to accidentally shoot somebody because they're trigger happy and saw movement yeah so he called off the hunt because he was like this is this is posing some safety concerns and Yes, it. Uh, he probably should have called the hunt off at 500 because yeah. 500 trigger-happy Americans in a three-mile radius is already pushing it. But a thousand is that was his line. That was <laughs> that was where he was like, okay, now it's too many. Also, at the time, uh, Chief Forres had also received a telegram from the Humane Society of Asheville, North Carolina, who were protesting Forres because he had proposed a plan to use dogs as live bait to lure the beast out. Oh. Which is super <laughs> gross. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a stand-up guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so not only were they had they had a thousand people there, but he was also saying, well, I've got an idea. Let's let's chain these dogs up and use them as live bait to bring this vampire beast out so that, you know, a thousand people can immediately take aim and start firing. <laughs> I mean, he would argue he's being practical with the bait part. I, I right? yeah, and he did, he did. He argued that this would, this would be a really good idea, but yeah, the, the humane society of North Carolina was like, no, we're not having that. And honestly, I on their side on that. That's, yeah. that's real gross. Live bait in any sort of situation like this is kind of gross. Yeah. On January 13th, Luther Davis, who was a local farmer, found a bobcat struggling with a steel trap in Big Swamp, which was four miles from the city, and shot it in the head. Um, The mayor, William or Woodrow Fussell, uh, told newspapers that the beast of Bladenboro had been found and killed. However, it has been questioned whether such a small cat could have killed and mangled dogs, cows, pigs horses you know yeah. goat so because it, it's a little bobcat yeah um, and actually hang on i've got a picture of this that i can show you so that's a picture from the newspaper and it says davis the beast fussel end of the vampire mm, no so, <laughs> it just it's just this teeny tiny little bobcat there's no way that a teeny tiny little bobcat 
killed all these dogs and farm animals and crushed their skulls. There's just no way. Yeah. But so there have been recent sightings of this beast, supposedly. Um, the first one that wasn't 1954 was from 2003 in Rowan County, which was 150 miles or 240 kilometers away from Bladenboro. Um, more farm animals and dogs began to turn up with crushed bones, bite marks, and very little blood in their bodies. And strange tracks were also found near the bodies, leading people to believe that the beast was back at work. Um, next one came from September of 2007. Uh, 60 goats were found dead and drained of blood in Lexington, North Carolina. Uh, Glenda and Bruce Floyd, owners of the goats, found them early one morning. Uh, and then 30 miles northeast of Lexington in Greensboro, uh, another man's goats were also killed in the same way. Uh, their throats had been ripped out and the bodies mutilated. That, hmm. to me, doesn't sound exactly the same as the Beast of Bladenboro, but yeah, um, people attribute it to him anyway. Uh, October 2007, uh, Bill Robinson of Bolivia, North Carolina, found his three-year-old Pitbull terri Terrier dog eviscerated. Um, he buried his dog, but the next morning found it in the same spot where it was originally. So it had been dug up and brought back to its spot. Oh, that's weird. That is weird. You know, that's, that's creepy. Um, and then four days later, a man named Leon Williams found his two-year-old pit bull dead. Um, and he said that its chain was stretched out across the ditch covered in blood and there were pieces missing from the carcass, but there was no sign of a struggle, which for a pit bull is very um, out of character. Yeah. For it to not have put up any sign of a struggle. Yeah. Um, and then in on June 15th of 2013, Misty Turner and her son Tyler contacted local police after something visited their farm in the dead of night, killing three of their horses and a large bull mastiff dog. Wow. Um Tyler found the horses after the barking dog had alerted the family to the fact that something was on their property. Uh, the dog continued to bark for quite some time, obsessed with the dense wooded area alongside the farm. Um, police and veterinarians who arrived on the scene were shocked to discover that the horses had died from very deep puncture wounds to the neck. And then they were even more shocked that it seemed that the purpose of the marks was to allow blood to be drained from the animals. Um, so they'd also been exsanguinated. Yeah. Um, and the horses were also reported to have been wet with sweat, almost as if they'd been running hard to avoid whatever was chasing them down. Huh. Um, poor scared horses. Right? Yeah. Uh, the following, e following evening, um, much to the Turner's dismay, their dog was also killed in the same exact fashion, with two puncture marks to the neck and its blood drained. Huh. Misty claims to have seen the thing that killed her animals, uh, as it was running from the lifeless body of her pet and her description of the creature matched the same eyewitness reports of the vampire beast from 1954. It's less, um, like less destructive of the corpses in these ones though. Yeah. A lot less. It's, yeah. um, it's mainly just kill them and suck their blood and less rip them apart and drain their blood. You yeah. know, so it's, Maybe it's gotten better at what it's doing. Yeah, more, maybe. I don't know, like, you know, more efficient with its killing. I don't know. Um, as far as explanations for what the Beast of Bladenboro could be, 
It is either a cougar or mountain lion, which, like we mentioned before, cougars do have a cry that sounds like women screaming or babies crying. Really terrifying. Yeah. Um, a bobcat, which we mentioned before, seems a little too small. Uh, a Carolina panther, which is a species of large cat that had lived into in that area until the early 20th century, um, but was now thought to be extinct. Hmm. So basically there was a North Carolina panther, but it's kind of an extinct species. Right. So maybe it's a last living remnant of that. Yeah. Which um, would also explain if the attacks stopped after the, those last ones that you just described, right? Yeah. Maybe it, it passed away. Maybe. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, for it to have lived until 2013. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's like, almost 70 years i really doubt it but you never know maybe maybe uh, there were i think there was one or two reports where there were two sets of footprints and one was smaller so maybe it had like Uh, a baby i don't know yeah i don't know um other options of what it could be is a coyote or stray dog uh some people even saying maybe it was like a police dog got like went rogue and got wild or something like that um a wolf a wolverine a bear and then some people also notice the commonalities between this and a chupacabra. Oh, yeah. You know, which is, we've talked about it before on this podcast, is also another vampire beast that sucked the blood out of goats. You know, it's literally the goat sucker. So um, some people have obviously drawn the similarities between the two and said maybe this was just a chupacabra, but yeah. we don't know. Aren't those um, really yeah. Go described ahead. as scalier, though? Right. Um, it really depends. Some of them okay. are scaly and lizard-like, and some of them look more like uh, dogs with mange. Oh, okay. So, well, then, fur. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it really just depends. Um, as far as the Beast of Bladenbro, it hasn't made an appearance since 2013, but that doesn't necessarily mean it won't strike again. I mean, 1954 to 2003 is a long time frame before it shows up again. Yeah. Um. So maybe it'll come back. You never know. Uh, they do still have like Beast of Bladenborough, um, like festivals and celebrations, like I think in October, <laughs> you know, because they, they use it as like a tourist thing. And actually yeah. at the time it was a big tourist thing. You know, like the mayor himself went on record of saying, yes, I capitalized on this to get more tourism into our town. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should, right? If you've got I mean, something that's going to bring in a thousand hunters plus other right? tourists. I mean, that definitely brought in a lot of revenue for the town. So, yeah. but yeah, so like I said, the mayor flat out is on record saying that, yeah, we hyped it up a bit to get people to come, you know, spend money in our town. And right. there was actually like this um, really well-known artist at the time. He, he was born with only one arm. So he had no legs and only one arm and he was like a very famous like painter and tattoo artist and he sold a lot of paintings and custom license plates and stuff like that that were all about the Beast of Bladenboro at the time. Mm. So just just neat how, you know, even in a time of great terror and peril, humans still find a way to make capitalism benefit yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> make your money. Uh, a capitalistic cryptid, you know, that's <laughs> – it's what you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But, but yeah, so that's all I've got for the beast of Bladenbro. It's not a super lengthy cryptid, but it's still interesting. And it was still neat learning about one I'd never heard of before. Yeah. So I've, I've never heard of it. I follow cryptids as well. That's why I listened to your podcast and mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of that one either. So 
Yeah. So like I said, it was just interesting to learn about it. Um, if I, if we've got any listeners in North Carolina and you know, these stories or you've got your own stories, write in and tell us, and I'll talk about them on air because I would love to hear your guys's experiences. But, um, but yeah, in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Levi is going to tell us about his conspiracy theory. Yeah. All right. We are back. Levi, I am excited to hear your conspiracy theory. Uh, a lot of my guests have been more cryptid leaning. So, you know, so I've been doing a lot of conspiracy theories this season as well. So I'm, I'm really yeah. interested to let somebody else take the reins on that. So okay. uh, go ahead and regale me with your tail. Yeah, well, so I'm into conspiracies like Flat Earth and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think, did you talk about Flat Earth? We Bart? have talked about Flat yeah. Earth, yeah. Yeah, um, and the one I'm going to talk about is related to Tartaria. Do I remember that they have come up as a I side note? think so. Okay, I'm, mi- I'm probably mixing topics from various... sound familiar, but... Okay. Um, I'm not going to get into Tartaria, so there's a little treat for you to actually dig into in a future one. Okay. What I'm going to talk to that's related to Tartaria is the mud floods. So have you heard of mud floods? I have not. Okay. So it's one of these conspiracies that says like a thing happened and it's being covered up, right? Okay. Um, I was watching flat earth debunking videos, um, and I was blown away by this new conspiracy theory. Uh, and people frequently try to explain things they can't explain by explaining them, which doesn't make sense. Right? Like I, Oh, I see it. Right. I can't explain it. So here's my explanation for it. Here's the closest explanation I can come up with. Yes. Um, and it's very conspiratorial thinking. Um, and well, well, we're not going to get too much into that. Um, I think um, some of the or some of the relevant traits of conspiratorial thinking are like overriding suspicion and conviction that something is wrong, mm-hmm. right? And then reinterpreting randomness. And I think you can see that or those three things very well in this conspiracy theory. So okay, uh, there, and it's it's caused by strange pictures on the internet as well. So uh, you don't even need to modify or shop pictures to get strange stuff. There's lots of weird pictures on the internet just that people manage to take. And right. uh, They're open to wild interpretation. Uh, Okay. Some of them come from close to my home. Some of these pictures like um, Vancouver or where I live in Vancouver. So like Portland, Oregon and Seattle, Washington, both have pictures that have spawned this been part of spawning the theory of mud floods. And, okay. Um, because they have an underground, which is, yeah, yeah. Both of them have, yeah. Like subway systems and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and buildings or street levels that changed so that like the first floor in a building is below street level now. Oh yeah. So, and we're, I'm going to show you some pictures of that. So, um, when we get there, we'll talk about what we see there. So the people who believe in mud floods explain that these pictures are the result of tons and tons of mud burying those cities to the point where they had to be either dug out or the street level just had to be changed. Ooh. Uh, they say it would have been much more difficult to dig out the ground floor in a lot of cases. Uh, right. It, they believe at some point in the past few hundred years, possibly as recently as 1850, something caused massive amounts of flood to accumulate and bury cities. So, you know, that's really interesting because so, so, um, 
I lived in Sacramento before moving here to Mississippi, and that's where Tessa is as well. And Sacramento also has an underground. You know, like the streets were built up um, yeah. because it was super low. And actually, we went on the underground Sacramento tour. Um, so that's really interesting that you're bringing that up. I didn't realize there was a conspiracy theory behind that sort of thing. And I'm going to have to make sure that Tessa listens to this episode because, oh, that's, that's yeah. interesting. Okay. Keep actually, going. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I, I actually almost <laughs> included pictures of Sacramento when oh, I was dope. Doing, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we went on the underground Sacramento tour, like I think during our first year of recording and it was super interesting because yeah, they, you know, they take you all through like these underground tunnels and stuff that are under every building, basically the original first floors. And, you know, they were used during prohibition to like, you know, like brew alcohol where nobody uh -huh. could find it. Um, and they were used for like brothels and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I didn't, I did not know about this conspiracy theory yeah. that that was not just like an intentional, let's raise the, the, you know, cause well, that's what we were told is that it was an intentional, we're going to raise the city streets because right. it's, below the floodplain and it's, you know, it's below sea level. So we're just going to intentionally raise the streets. But I didn't know that people yeah. had come up with a conspiracy theory about that. And they would obviously be telling you that because they work for the man. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> they, they also believe that it destroyed a huge global empire that was in some ways more technologically advanced than we are now. Of course. So, Right. When the cities were buried, yeah, when, when the cities were buried, so was Tartaria. So in that way, the mud floods appear to be an answer that was looking for a question. And that question okay. is, what happened to the Tartaria Empire? Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've um, legit never heard of the Tartarian Empire. I'm going to have to look into that. That yeah. sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, they believe that the empire spanned North America and four islands in the Arctic Circle that I don't know where those islands went or if they're being covered up, but they believe four giant islands in the Arctic Circle were once controlled by the Tartarians. So I've also been really interested. I'm just I'm going to keep like derailing and I'm so sorry for that. Okay. I've also been like it, you're like literally tying into all these things that I've been thinking about recently because I've been really interested in um disappearing islands recently mm. um i i recently found out about high brazil which i don't um, know if you've ever heard of it nope. it's this like mythical island off the coast of ireland that that has was on maps up until like the 1890s oh weird it was literally it was on maps and it was considered this is a real place just nobody could get to it except oh. for like a couple of people claimed they did but it was like this island that no matter how much you sailed towards it, you never got any closer. Well, are you familiar with the um, the copyright? It, now I'm derailing my own, but are, with the, <laughs> the copyright um, protection thing that atlases and map makers do, where they include something that's not really there. No. Oh, okay. So there are islands. There's at least one thing in like every atlas. And on any map that somebody is worried might get copied, that's not really there. So that if you copy my atlas and that they island is, tell. yeah, I can say, nope, you copied me because we made that island up. Okay. Well, this was, this island was on all maps up okay. until like the late 1800s. And it was, it was genuinely considered a real place 
that just nobody could ever get to. That's crazy. So That's weird. I, I want to talk about that at some point. And I actually even asked Tessa today. I was like, would you consider that like a disappearing island, a cryptid? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, I guess you could maybe swing it that way. And I was like, I hope so, because I might just talk about it anyway. <laughs> Go anyway, I'll let you, I'll let you get back to it, but you've got disappearing yeah. islands and you know, I'm just kind of yeah. like, Settling, setting myself up for future episodes. <laughs> if I don't want to talk about another Nessie, I can talk about disappearing islands instead. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to start talking about their evidence, and I have a couple. Okay. Things broken down into a couple sections, but okay. Um, I I want you to know that one of the best sources I could find can only be accessed through the Wayback Machine. Uh, oh, okay. And it disappeared without explanation, right? Ooh, yeah. Okay. So. Um, oh, also, the bulk of the of the information from Stolen History comes from the posts of one Corbin Dallas. Do you recognize that name? It sounds super familiar. Are you familiar with the Fifth we, Element? Yeah, it was just, like it just clicked. Like as you yeah. said it, yeah, Fifth Element. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Yep. So Corbin Dallas has been posting. Um, okay. So as we discuss the examples, um, remember the theory is super simple, right? I've essentially laid out. The theory. Right. Right. Giant floods of mud covered up cities. Yeah. The, okay. whole, the world around all at once. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we're mostly going to be discussing the pictures that are fuel for the fire. Um, okay. And this being audio, I'll do my best to describe what I'm talking about. Um, hopefully okay. the audience can look, look them up. You hopefully will share I, them. <laughs> if, if it's super like necessary for people to see what you're talking about, I will literally do everything in my power okay. to post these to social media. If I, okay, listeners, if I don't post these pictures by October 3rd, spam the heck out of my email, <laughs> spam the heck out of our Twitter. Just, you know, I, I want you to at me until I do it. <laughs> so please, if you're hearing this and it's October 3rd and there aren't pictures on our Facebook or Instagram, email us at conspiraciesencryptids at gmail.com or add us on Twitter at Cryptopod and let me know that I'm slacking and I will fix it. Okay. But I'm going to try to do my best to remember, but okay. Continue. Right. So the first the first city we're going to talk about that they consider evidence is St. Petersburg in Russia. Okay. Um, and the theory is that Peter the Great did not found St. Petersburg. He found St. Petersburg, right? He dug it out. So he didn't, oh. he didn't establish it. He discovered it and dug it up. Interesting. Um, it was founded in the early 18th century. And there are ruins of buildings from before 1850 when the mud is supposed to have reset the world. Mm -hmm. right? Supposedly, anyway, there are ruins from before 1850. Many of okay. these, um, or I shouldn't say supposedly, there are ruins that old, supposedly from right. before the founding. Yeah. Um, many okay. of these older buildings are buried in feet of dirt. And the argument is that it's way too much dirt for the age of the buildings to make sense. They're actually just buildings that have been dug out. There that have not been dug out. There are mm -hmm. no new, there are new buildings too, of course, but the temples are all older and they come from the Tartarian empire that existed before the floods. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to share the first picture and I will tell you the first time before I share this, the first time I heard about the mud floods, there was this great picture of a church, an old church with a, a graveyard that had been restored. And I spent no lie, two hours just trying to find that picture again. And I couldn't, 
Really? Yes. It was a before and after of the same church with the graveyard overgrown and the church partly buried. And then the church after it was restored with the graveyard all, you know, nicely kept and the church with an extra however many feet of building exposed. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find it. Supposedly it was from St. Petersburg. Um, but okay. So it's been covered up is what you're yeah. telling me. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, but there's been, there's literally been a second biblical style flood just with lots of mud in it this time. And yeah. big brother is covering it up. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so this is St. Petersburg and, and what, what we have is, uh, what looks like a whole bunch of dirt right up against the city and this church off to the left looks like it's a work site, like the way that fences is, is right. around that church, right? So yeah. um, they would argue that the reason why all these rocks and all this rubble is here is because that that part of the city is being dug out in this picture. Okay. Right? And the dirt's being hauled away. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So the believers will tell you that they – these temples that are so complex have to come from before the, f the flood and they have to be Tartarian. And if you see this picture, it's a mm -hmm. very fancy, um, temple, right? Right. And yeah, it's very ornate. It's so fancy. It couldn't possibly be made by us. Right. An argument from incredulity. People see when this is, temple. <laughs> when is it said to have been built or when, when was this temple built? Oh, see, I, sorry, that's not information I have about this specific temple. Oh, okay. Um, I did know the name, but I don't think I wrote it down. Yeah, I didn't put the name of this temple. Okay, that's, that's fine. Yeah, but it has, um, but the, the, it's got like the really pretty gold domes up on top of it, you know, like yeah. the, this is in Russia though, right? That's still in, in Russia. Yes, this is okay. Russia. Yeah, so it's got those like onion domes on it that are like really ornate and golden and really beautiful like honestly a lot of that russian architecture is absolutely stunning yeah and that's what causes that sort of argument from incredulity they see this mm -hmm. they think we couldn't have done that so it must have been something else right of course mm -hmm. uh, and those are actually called onion domes just so yes. you know you said. okay um, yeah uh, and they think those domes have something to do with environmental energy which is one of the advanced texts the tartarians had so they could interesting pull pull energy from the environment. Um, okay. Yeah. And they also um, say it's a very grand temple considering how small we are compared to it. So why would it need to be so big? I mean, you could say that about almost any large building. Yeah. I mean, the empire state building is massive compared to a human. Why does it need to be so big? It's like right? it has multiple stories in it and, <laughs> You know, it's yeah. not like it's not like you're walking into the Empire State Building and it's one floor right. with a ceiling that stretches up 20 stories. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, you know, with doors that are like, you know, 18 stories tall. It's like that temple looks like a normal large temple that probably yeah. has two or three floors in it that are about the size of a normal person would go through to you know it's right right temples are always kind of ornate and over the top it doesn't matter what religion the temples are always ornate and over the top that's just yes. kind of what you do with a religious temple you make it ornate and yeah. beautiful and kind of a little over exaggerated you know and but we even see with like catholic churches and flying buttresses they try to mm -hmm. push engineering yeah to, absolutely to 
So well, a lot of times, yeah, the um, like temples and and churches and stuff like that, especially like you know old Gothic and Renaissance ones, they were they weren't just made by architects; they were made by artists. You know, it was a, it was a you know a marriage of art and architecture. You know, and they were they were pushing what most people would normally do for a building because they wanted to include that artistry into the building. Not, right. it wasn't just like, it wasn't just a practical building. It was supposed to be an artistic expression of, you know, of what you could do with architecture and, you know, using it to exemplify your religious beliefs. So yeah, yeah they, they were always constantly pushing. So they're not supposed to look like normal buildings. That doesn't mean that they're, made by aliens or an advanced civilization. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then we have this picture as well, also from St. Petersburg, at least according to my search. Um, mm -hmm. And this foot of a statue is in the foreground. It's okay. also a large foot and a large statue. It is statue, a big foot, yes. Right? But I, be I believe it's in the foreground just based on my evaluation of this photo. Um, so it makes yeah. it look even bigger. And right. so that leads to more of that, why is it all so big, right? Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, once again, we, we just, we've, <laughs> I mean, why is the Statue of Liberty so big? Right. You know, I mean, it's like we build big things, people, just yeah. because they're big and you personally don't know how it was built doesn't mean that it was aliens, you guys. Right. Come on. <laughs> we build okay. big things because we like big things because human, like the human ego and the human hubris thinks that we're bigger than we are. So we build big things to stroke that hubris. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, that doesn't mean aliens. I, yeah. I believe in aliens. Like I will be the first person to admit that I believe in aliens. And I've said it before on this podcast and I'll say it again. I would have been part of that cult that believed that there was an alien group in the Hailbot comet. And you had to, you know, die to go get on board the spaceship. I, if I had been, <laughs> of age at that time being as naive and wanting to believe as I am, I probably would have been in that cult. I believe in aliens. I don't believe that they built things like the pyramids right. and temples in Russia, just because a modern day person with, you know, a high school education can't figure out how it was built. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so then speaking of incredible feats of engineering, uh -huh. we're going to talk about Chicago. Okay, because okay. lots of pictures come from Chicago that prove cities were buried in mud. Uh, are you okay. are you familiar with how the people of Chicago reversed the flow of the Chicago River? Uh, vaguely, okay. like, I, I know that I've learned about that probably back in high school, um, but I don't yeah. remember the specifics of yeah. it. Yeah, and that's okay because that's not super important. But they did it did flow into the Lake Michigan, and they made it flow mm -hmm. out of Lake Michigan into the Mississippi to solve some okay. sewage problems. Gotcha. Um, okay. So that's pretty incredible. But more more relevant to what we're talking about is that the city of Chicago was also lifted by as much as six feet in the 50s and 60s. Okay. Wow. There was a flood um, mm -hmm. and it was a global or it was sorry, it wasn't a global mud flood. It was just a flood. Um, right. And it it wrecked their city some and the sewage and water system was threatened. So right. they thought, let's lay new infrastructure on the current streets, add on top of that. And then um, raise the buildings. And they literally lifted buildings. So Right, right. They, there was a hotel that on the day a guest checked in, he said, uh, you know, the windows were at my eye level when I checked in. And by the time I left, they were over my head. 
Because while he was staying in the hotel, every day they lifted the hotel little by little with screw oh jacks. God. Yeah. Oh, my God. While you, people were in it? Yes. It's incredible. That seems really impractical and dangerous <laughs> and unnecessarily, like, unnecessarily dangerous. <laughs> it does. But they, so they did these buildings, including brick ones, which would be really susceptible to damage. Um, but if you lifted them unevenly, right? Because the bricks mm-hmm. would theoretically come apart at the seams. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So they, but they lifted these buildings with thousands of screw jacks and hundreds of men turning screw jacks little by little day oh in God. day out. Um, That's incredible. So they hijacked the hotel. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, then, and then just put a new foundation underneath it. So what's relevant about this is um, it creates a picture like this. So we've got um, some wagons and yeah. this house off to the right with the arrow pointing at it, mm-hmm. those are second story windows that the ground floor of that house is below the street. Right, right. Um, yeah. And like I said, they did that exact same thing in Sacramento. Like, I mean, they they literally the the shop, you know, and like the shop doors were down on the first level and they had ladders going mm-hmm. from the streets down to the buildings. You know, so it's like you had to leave the building, climb a ladder walk across the street, climb down another ladder to go into the shop across the street. Yeah, that was true in Seattle when they did theirs, and we're going to get to that too. Um, This house has a new main entry on the second floor, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because their first floor is below the sidewalk, because not everybody could afford to have their house picked up. Of course, yeah. And then here's um, a picture that might be super sad, I'm not sure, but it shows the stairs that now have to go down to the main level, right? the street level. So... When a mud flood believer sees these, they think, well, look at that. They dug these buildings out and built new ones around it. But that's evidence that there was too much mud to just move it all away. Right. Yeah. There's also um, a lot of very forlorn looking children. in this Yeah, that's, that's why I said I'm not sure if it's a sad picture or not, but I included it. <laughs> I mean, all the pictures from that time era were they everybody looked kind of forlorn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then. Um, the Paris catacombs are used as evidence because with that many bodies in one place, they must have all died at once. And so they died in the mud floods, right? That's not how catacombs work. <laughs> right. And, and, right? And they believe, so they'll see any ossuary and they'll think, oh, those are the people who died in the mud floods. Um, by so, that logic, everybody buried in a cemetery died by a mud flood. <laughs> Right. Um, they were just laying there and just let the mud coat them. Okay. This then, conspiracy theory is already driving me nuts, but okay. Right. But I think it's fantastic how ridiculous it is. And I then, mean, it's the, like you said, it's like flat earth as far as like, it's like who believes this stuff, but okay. Yeah. You know, I don't want to alienate people, but okay. You guys, you do you. Yeah. And here's the, Here's another picture of Paris uh, with grand architecture. That means obviously these people were bigger, right? So just evidence all over the world if you want to see it that way. So basically mud flood believers not only believe that the entire earth had massive flooding of mud that encapsulated buildings, but also that prior to the mud floods, there was a race of giants. <laughs> that That is part of it, yeah. Well, that's why we have giant statues, not because we built giant statues, but because people were that big. (laughs) Maybe not that big, 
But, but uh, you know, statues can only be so much bigger than the thing they're of, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a cap, you guys. There's yep. there's a limit on how big a statue can be before it becomes impossible to build it that big. Absolutely. And then, and then, as we've talked about, so we won't go in as much detail on this, I, I don't think, but Seattle was raised between 12 and 30 feet, depending oh, on wow. where, where in the city you're talking about. So it was largely to solve a sewer system backing up problem during high tide. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, they, yeah. They flushed out to the the uh, Puget Sound. Right, so yeah. There are lots of pictures of the Seattle underground, and... Um, these are going to look a lot like the ones that you've seen in a lot like what you've seen in Sacramento. Right. Uh, yeah. But it's pictures of what looks like first floors of buildings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what it looked like. Um, and then we've got this really cool picture here. Um, a street built on top of a row of buildings. Oh my God. Because that's... they just abandoned those buildings and right. the city. And this Imagine you believed at some point mud covered the earth and buried cities. This that is deep. possibly the strongest evidence you could find. <laughs> right? That's not very strong, but <laughs> okay. Because they, the mud has since been moved away somehow, and that would have been 20-some feet of mud. <laughs> why would we bother digging out that much mud? I, I like, don't why know. would we even bother? <laughs> Just to cover up mud floods, we're going to dig out. Where did the mud go? <laughs> right. Did you and just there... dump it into the ocean or something? <laughs> Do we build mountains out of it? Like, You can find pictures <laughs> of, of what they believe is trains hauling the dirt away. So, <laughs> of course. You I, don't, I, I haven't shared any of those pictures, but you can find those. Um, uh There were also parts of Seattle that were lowered by as much as 108 feet. And to show you what that looks like when you are removing that much earth and building a city at the same time, here is a picture of what remains of Denny Hill before they finished. And there's a house built in between these two giant chunks of what used to be hills. Right. As the dirt is being hauled away, potentially, I'm not sure, but potentially to fill in some of what needed to be filled in in other parts of the city. Right. Also just to level it out because a city's easier to work with if it's more flat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, And so the, the people who believe in mud floods will tell you this was this is them removing the mud. Oh, boy. OK. Yeah. OK. <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> they they even they even I think would tell you that house was excavated from the mud. I <laughs> I don't think it would be that well intact. It absolutely would not. It was a wooden structure. It would it would not be that intact. Nope. It would it would be falling apart or or fallen apart. Yeah. And I know there are mud flood believers who would will come at me with like you misrepresented us. And I, all I have to say is there are hundreds, hopefully not much more than that of people who believe in this. Right. And all of them are saying different things. So if you don't believe this picture is what I said, somebody believes it is that's because you're not the one who posted that that's what it is. Okay. Right. But this is another picture of dirt remaining between two buildings. It is weird to me. That is a weird looking picture. I'm not going to deny it, you know, because it's got two 
four-story buildings on either side of this giant mound of dirt. That does yeah. look odd. It does. And one of the buildings doesn't even look very new. No, 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 no. The, the one on the left looks newer. Yeah. But the one on the right definitely looks old. Like I'd yeah. say, judging from the picture at the time, it looks like it's probably a good 20 or 30 year old building where the one yeah. on the left looks like it's maybe, you know, last five or 10 years. Yeah. So but it's still, weird yeah, to have this giant pile of dirt between two buildings that have obviously been there for a while. That does look odd. I will yeah. give you that. My guess is that mm. this part of town had a street cut through it in the leveling. And yeah. then if you wanted to build a building, you had to lower the ground down and build your building. So somebody right. bought this plot and somebody bought that plot and followed the rules and nobody's bought the plot in the middle yet. That is possible. Yeah, right? that is very possible. But that's just my theory. I don't know. I mean, anytime that you buy a plot of land, you have to clear it out. I mean, there there's literally a plot of land between me and one of my neighbors that is woods. Yeah. You know, it, it, and it's for sale, the whole plot of land. So if you want to be my neighbor, guys, yeah. <laughs> there is a plot of land for sale right next door to me. Um, and it's just woods. But it's like if you bought that plot of land, you would have to pay to clear it out. Yeah. You know, so yeah, maybe some other business or or building just, you know, hadn't paid to have it cleared out yet. So that that's yeah. also possible. Yeah. And then this is Portland's underground. Just a mm-hmm. quick picture, right? They they put a window at this business so that you could see down into the underground as right. a bit of a tourist draw. And same thing, that's clearly first floors of a building that are no longer first floors. Yep. So yep. mud. Um and then ancient runes. Um a mud flood believer would ask, like, why are we always digging up artifacts? Where'd all the dirt come from? So you've got your classic examples like the Sphinx and the Moai of Easter Island or Easter mm-hmm. Island. Um, yeah, the where Easter Island heads. And we found out a lot heads. of those heads had bodies on them. Yeah. Right? We thought they were heads. Yeah. And, uh, turns out they were more than that. Yeah. Uh, and that the floods must be a recurring a recurring thing to bury ancient runes and then unbury and bury. Um, I mean, that's just part of the natural erosion of the planet, you know, yeah. things get covered up, you know, like it's, it's not necessarily a mud flood, but you know, rock and sediment and dirt and mud do move around, you know, they're not stationary, you know, and yeah. it's like, you know, floods do happen, rain carries mud and stuff. So it's like, yeah, things get covered up, but that's just, I wouldn't necessarily think that it's because of a worldwide recurring mud flood. Yeah. And then star forts. <laughs> I've never seen those before. That's okay. That's really pretty. I don't know what this is, but it's really yeah. pretty. So a star fort is the natural evolution of a fortification because the square fort can't def- defend its own walls. Okay. But a star shaped fort especially with these arrowhead shapes on each point can mm-hmm. have cannons pointed back at itself. Right. So this is how forts ended up being built towards the end of time when forts were useful. Right. right. They evolved and then they went out of fashion because they were kind of useless eventually. Right. Gotcha. Um, and I think I foolishly said cannons. You wouldn't point cannons back at your own fort. You'd no, have archers. You'd have archers. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd never seen these before. That's neat. Okay, so how does that tie into this? Um, they believe this is too advanced for us to have designed. Of course. <laughs> right. And we're not going to talk about that a lot. It's just that those come up on their pages. Right. Um, okay. And then the 
here's the Giants thing. Okay. Uh, yep. And I'm not going to lie. The guy on the right in this picture is huge. Oh, yeah. He's, he's okay. definitely tall. The guy on the left is fishy to me. He looks like he's on stilts, but that's right. His proportions are off. Now, but the guy on the right is huge and he's leaning on a stick. Like frequently people with gigantism have to have Mm -hmm. extra support if they're standing for a long time, because you have a lot of physical ailments that come along with with that. Yeah. Um, So this is probably what this is. This is a normal size, maybe a little small guy in the middle with Mm -hmm. a, a guy who's, maybe got gigantism on the right or on his left. And then somebody who looks to me like he's dressed up to be a big intimidating guy. Yeah. Um, who's maybe not as big as he looks. Yeah. yeah his head uh, looks way too small to be that tall. Right. Or maybe he's got a small head. I don't know. Yeah, it could be, they, it could be two really big guys. Um, but this doesn't yeah. mean there was an ancient race of giants. No, I mean, now there is documented evidence that there have been giants throughout history, you know, um, what was it there was there was even like well i mean there was a biblical race like goliath was apparently a giant you know right yeah so you know there there have been cases of giant either a giant race or gigantism you know throughout history but here's what they think may have caused it and this is a short section okay mud from the sky literally falling from the sky okay uh mud volcanoes which is whatever geological process happens and causes mud to spew up out of the planet all around the planet at the same time and cover all of the major cities in mud. Some uh, mud canes. Yeah. And then soil liquefaction, which is a real thing. Um, uh, okay. And so if you have the right kind of material and if there's water in it and you vibrate it, then it acts like a fluid instead of a solid. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you can see it. It also behaves like um, cornstarch with water in it. Oh, um, God, I, I know the name for that. And I'm actually going to be using it at my Halloween party. It is a uh, super fluid Ubloid or, or oh, yeah, or, or something like that. Something like that. That sounded right. I forgot it's, I had a more technical name. Um, but uh, so what they think is maybe the whole earth vibrated for whatever reason, had seismic waves. And so everything sank into the mud instead mm. of the mud landing on it. So right. those were, those were the only causes I could find that they listed. Okay. So it's Ublek, by the way, I, I okay. had to look that up. That was going to bug you. me. Yeah. Ublek. Yeah. And then they have their straw men as well. The things that they will say, this doesn't explain it. And this doesn't explain it. Right. Okay, so the right, cultural layer is a real term and it's the filth that will build up and you can see it in hoarders homes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just kind of if it's uncapped and uncleaned, it builds up around us right. and it builds up super slowly. And they say it's so slow. There's no way. And what you're just going to let your house get covered in six feet of filth. Right. And that's why it's a straw man, because they're right. right. That's not how this yeah. happened. <laughs> and then right, right, um, right. they they'll say buildings can't possibly settle evenly like this. So those of you who want to say the building settled, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I'm probably true. I Maybe, don't, yeah. none of the pictures I found looked like buildings that had settled in. And then they'll, they'll say built this way. Well, that doesn't make sense. Why would you build your first floor? But some of the pictures they show, and I didn't show any of these, but some of them are just, I grew up in a place with lots of basements in Billings, Montana. 
Right. And, I mean, so did I in South Dakota. So, yeah. And if you show me a picture of a house that has windows that appear to go start above ground and go below ground, I just see a house with a basement. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agreed. Because we no. see those all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. They'll, they'll point to those and say, like, that doesn't make sense. Why would that d- window look out at dirt? Well, by having it go below ground level and putting it like a barrel shape or half barrel shape around it mm-hmm. to hold the dirt back, you're letting in a lot of light. That's why. Yeah. 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 So I, now, have, I mean, granted, I will say that like basements and stuff are, are not as common in the Pacific Northwest region and, you know, like the West Coast. They're. Yeah. It's very uncommon like that, that it tends to be a very Midwestern and central um, United States yeah. thing is to have basements. Um, like most people even here in Mississippi don't have basements. In fact, a lot of houses are built up on stilts like mine you know, to avoid flooding. Yeah. You know, so it, it I could some, see the basement argument, but it, it depends on the region too. Yeah. So. In Louisiana, I don't think you're legally allowed to build a basement. Probably right? not. I'll have because, to check on that. But yeah. I right. don't, I don't think you are because everything floods constantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and in fact, I think most of the basements I know from my time here in Vancouver have been daylight basements. So they're only below ground on one half of the house. Right. On the yeah. other half, because they're on a slope. But um, so I have a what I call my reasoned response or things okay. they've ignored. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you when you say you always have to dig stuff up, they're ignoring archaeological sites and finds that exist on the surface. Right. Because there are lots of those. Where I grew up in Montana, you could find arrowheads laying on the ground. Yeah. Same here. Yep. Yeah. Uh, some of the pictures are from places that were buried by volcanic ash because they do include pictures of like Pompeii and Herculaneum. Okay. Yeah. Right? I didn't include those because different. I I think those are much more well known than the ones I did include, um, mm-hmm. especially Pompeii. Right. Uh, yeah. Historically, humans built in floodplains. We still do. Apparently, your house is on stilts for that very reason. Yep. It um, sure is. <laughs> and in a floodplain, sediment will accumulate year after year, even if your city is if your city is abandoned. Mm-hmm. And then when we come back, it'll be buried on the floodplain. Uh, and right. then new, new soil does accumulate. I found stepping stones six inches deep in my yard when we did some work in our backyard because okay. they had been slowly covered by leaf litter and grass year after year that rotted into new soil. So right. yeah. if you're in a really fecund place, that's eventually going to cover up a building pretty well. And then liquefaction literally does happen. So some of their pictures are probably just buildings that did sink due to liquefaction during during earthquakes. Yeah. So, I mean, I have one more picture for you. That's kind of a joke. If you want to see it, (laughs) I absolutely want to see it. right. 100%. I'll make that the last picture on the, you know, social media so that it surprises everybody. You might choose to edit it out, but, uh, that's, that's up to you. Um, let me just share it and I'll say, okay, so here's an old picture. It's obviously very old. There are right. horses pulling things. Yes. And there's all this stuff all over the ground that's being shoveled up and hauled away. What could that possibly be? Horse poop. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not mud, right? And <laughs> I'm not saying that this is what this theory is to me, but I'm not saying it's not. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, to me, it is kind of a horse poop theory. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it, it's unlike the giant trees theory and the dragons theory and um, all the ones where people look at pictures online and go, 
well, I can't explain that. So it must be dragons or I can't explain that. So there must've been giant trees or right, you know, right. whatever. Those are all fun because you get to hear these people explain without an explanation. Yeah. They just kind <laughs> of let their imagination kind of run rampant. And that's what yeah. this kind of seems to me is, you know, people have big imaginations and, you know, thanks to the power of the internet and social media, they found other people with like-minded imaginations and, you know, cause that's, that's, it's one of the great things and terrible things about the internet and social yeah. media is it's, it's given some of these like kind of crackpot ideas, um, a platform that mm -hmm. it never used to have before the internet, you know, or if it did, it was so small and nobody heard of it. Where now, nowadays things like flat earth, they've gained a platform and a social presence unlike any they've ever had since, you know, round earth was discovered <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. you know, and, and they're able to voice those opinions in a loud and obnoxious way where everybody can hear them, you know? So it's brought a lot of these things to the surface that we didn't realize were still in existence. Like 10 years ago, if you had told me there were still people that believed in a flat earth, I would have said, Oh, you're just joking. Yeah. But now yeah. here we are in 2020 and no people legit believe this. And they have conventions you know? and they have, they literally have conventions yep. and, and it's like, despite how much the internet has given us as far as knowledge, it's also become like a breeding ground or a breeding ground for disinformation as well. And for, you know, people to share their like-minded beliefs in things that are just not real but yeah you know yeah so yeah i don't know like i i don't usually like to voice my opinion on <laughs> on these conspiracy theories i usually like to kind of keep an unbiased opinion and allow people to make their own decisions but there are some of them that are just kind of like like flat earth where it's just like science you guys did, yeah. did you did you pay attention in <laughs> elementary school science because that that could have easily explained why there's dirt on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. But, but Tartaria, I almost just did Tartaria. I'm, um, I'm definitely going to have to look into that. And yeah. um, maybe, maybe Tessa will cover it, you know, sometime in the future, but, uh, or maybe I will, I don't know, but that, that sounds fascinating. And I, I definitely want to look into that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that was, um, that was great. I loved that. And, um, Thank you. Thank you for coming on this show. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for having can, me. Where can, we, where can we find you? Where can our listeners find you? Oh, um, yeah. So the, the podcast is SCP Real to Real, and I should be findable everywhere um, that mm. has podcasts. I'm also on Twitter at Semiazai, S-E-M-I-A-Z-A-I. It's okay. just the name I use everywhere, um, and I've been using it for a long time, so it ended up being my Twitter handle. Um, hey, I totally get that. I've yeah. been using Sammy Simplicity since MySpace, so okay, um, <laughs> so I get it. Honestly, I, I mean everywhere. So if you want to try and find me on whatever gaming platform, maybe it's one of the ones I'm on, right? Okay, because I'm Sammy as I all over the place. Um, uh, Sammy Simplicity on literally everything, yeah, so, so I get it. Um, and I'll, I'll post. Um, I'll post links to that in our, our show notes and stuff so that people can find it, you know? Um, but, but yeah, once again, thank you for coming on and thank you to all of our listeners for, you know, once again, coming back to, to give us a listen. Uh, we'll be back on the 15th. Um, we've got a very special 
person coming on the podcast on the 15th. And I'm really, really excited about that. I'm not giving it away. I've kind of like given little plugs in the past of who's coming on next, but not this one. This one's going to be super, super secret. And and I hope everybody is really excited about it or will be really excited about it. Um, but with that, um, we hope you guys will tune in on the 15th. Thank you for all of your love and support. Um, you can find all of our social media. Um, most places it's at Cryptipod. Um, you can check out our website, conspiraciesencryptids.com. You can email us at conspiraciesencryptids at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, so that's it. And don't forget, Big, Big Brother, Brother is, is watching. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Conspiracies and Cryptids with Sammy and Tessa. Don't forget to check out our website, www.conspiraciesencryptids.com, for more episodes and other information. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cryptipod. That's C-R-Y-P-T-I-P-O-D. There you can find different ways to support us and get some awesome goodies along the way. While you're at it, you can also find us on all of your favorite social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's any one of those at Cryptopod. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please think about leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Leave us five stars and a nice little blurb about why you like us. It helps us to gain some traction and find some new listeners and while you're at it don't forget to tell your friends because our friends are your friends (laughs) and don't forget big Big brother Brother is watching. watching